episode of The Code of Career with me, your host, Cameron Blackwood. Today's guest is Howard Panton, who, as well as being my former boss, is currently the lead front-end engineer at M2A Media, working on a number of really exciting projects. Howard joins us today to discuss a variety of topics, primarily how he got into the industry from an interesting background in publishing originally. Howard also joins us to discuss mentoring, how he would go over things again, and what he would do if he was trying to learn to code in 2021. It's a fantastic episode, and I think you'll get a lot of insight from it. So if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to both me and Howard. And also as well, please join our Discord. The link's in the description. Today's episode of The Coder Career is brought to you by the Zero to Mastery Academy. Zero to Mastery hosts a number of great courses, whether you're trying to get your first job in tech or you're a tech lead trying to level up some of your skills. If you're still learning to code, I really recommend their original Zero to Mastery web developer course. If you've already learned and you're working already, I'm currently undertaking a junior to senior one and it's fantastic. They also as well have a new Next.js course, which I'm keen on checking out. It's great value at 23 US dollars a month and you can get 10% off by following my link in the description and using my code FRIENDS10. Anyway, on with the show. Hi, Howard. Thanks so much for joining me today. How are you doing? Thanks, Sam. Thanks for inviting me to your podcast. Uh, my name is uh, Howard. I'm a senior or lead front-end developer at M2A Media. Cool. And uh, in, in, terms of, um, in, in terms of your sort of day-to-day uh, life, are you, mainly, are you mainly doing JavaScript and, and that sort of thing? Yes, yeah, so I tend to work using JavaScript in my day-to-day life using the Angular framework. Um, I also do uh, UX design uh, using Figma, and I'll also manage two other developers at M2A. Very nice. You're a man of many hats uh, in that respect then. Uh, it sounds very good. And my former boss as well, just something we should mention uh, early on. So you taught me, you already taught me a lot uh, in terms of learning how to code. So I'm sure you'll impart some great knowledge uh, for the listeners of the pod as well. So um, the, the way we like to usually start things on a podcast is go through some quick fire questions, uh, if that sounds good. So uh, the audience can get to know you a bit better. So I have the first question here. Uh, what was your first ever computer? Wow. Um, how far do you want me to go back? As far as it goes. My first first computer for work-wise or first computer in terms of just generally getting my hands on the computer would be, so my first one is a Sinclair ZX81. I'm not sure if your listeners will even <laughs> remember or recall what that looked like. Um, it was very, uh, very, very basic uh, computer. You connect it to your TV. You could do um, basic programming language on it, which is like um, very simple scripts. Um, so that's our first one mm-hmm. growing up. Um, my first computer in terms of like my first purchase of a personal computer, this would be going back to probably 95, 96. It was at Apple Quadra 650. Um, I'm not sure people remember the first Apple computers are kind of like beige boxes quite a large box and this computer had a motorola uh, 68k chip in it uh, i think hard drive was 80 megabytes hard drive so it's, it's a pretty um compa- in comparison to today's computers it was pretty small but that computer i had photoshop on there i had um, clock express i had um i think a is it Frame Maker, Macromedia, um, Freehand, and a lot of these old designing applications? 
and that was my, my, my first actual getting into um, creating websites was on that computer actually. Nice. It's amazing what with older hardware uh, machines were capable of. Like I often think about how we were able to land men on the moon in 1969 with uh, with something with basically computational power of a pocket calculator. It, it's mad to think about, really. Yeah, because you could run like so many applications on this small little hard drive. Where today the same application requires like twenty or forty gigabytes just to run. And yeah, these, yeah. these Apple computers were used in desktop publishing initially for journalism and book publishing. And that's probably how I mm-hmm. started using one, really. Uh, so yeah, I was originally a publisher. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite a common theme where people um, sort of pick up the programming stuff from from their other career as well. So that's definitely something uh, we um, we should talk about later on as well. Um, and what, what what about in terms of where where you've worked in your life? What what what's your favourite tech city of all time? Um, so I've only really worked in in London, but I'd say Spitalfield area of London is probably the the, the tech hub um, for uh, developers. Uh, this, uh, they call it the Silicon Roundabout um, in London. So yeah, I'll probably say about that area. It's been uh, my uh, good experiences working. Yeah, same for me. I have a lot of fond memories of uh, working around that area. Uh, I used to um, I used to play football opposite Spitalfields Market uh, on lunchtime leagues, and it could get very aggressive. <laughs> a lot of pent up developers who, who'd had a bad morning, yeah. uh, I think, would be would be kicking at your ankles a little bit. Uh, <laughs> um, what, what what about when you're uh, when you're working? Um, what what powers that? Do you prefer listening to music or podcasts? And um, what, what style do you prefer? I think most people lean towards music. Would you say you're the same? It depends, I guess. Uh, so some days I have like music in the background. I've got Spotify on. Uh, I like to go to different sorts of music depending on, on the mood I'm in or whether I want to focus on some design work. So the design work, I generally listen to probably classical music in, in the background. Mm. Um, I find it hard to listen to podcasts while I'm working or coding because I find it hard to separate my brain from trying to focus on a bit of code, uh, to focus on what someone's saying on the podcast. Um, so, I, yeah, it's, I generally listen to these like sort of background, sort of elevator music while, while I'm working, just background noise. Something just there, so I don't have to focus on it, but it just helps instead of having silence while you're working, especially if you're working from home. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I struggle to work in silence. Someone, um, someone I, I worked with for a while actually told me uh, uh, he gave me this tip of listening to movie soundtracks uh, when you code, and I started doing that, and it's pretty, it's pretty good. Uh, my favorite one is it's not actually a movie; it's a TV show. Um, uh, Mr. Robot, uh, the one that Rami Malek was in about uh, cybersecurity. And the uh, the soundtrack for that is really cool, uh, especially considering the subject matter as well. So I, I like programming to that. But um, yeah, I, I agree with you about the podcast point. Like I was I was trying to do it this morning. I was it wasn't even something particularly like intensive. I was trying to listen to just a rugby news podcast this morning while trying to um, fix some end to end tests, and I couldn't even do that. So it's just uh, yeah, uh, I, I like my podcast as well. But yeah, I can't not not really while I'm working. I find. And what, what about when, when you like to work? Would you say you're early bird, night owl, or something in between? 
It depends. Um, I generally get more done in the evening, but that's probably due to other aspects of my work life. So we have mm. meetings during the day, you have catch-ups with your team members. You might be discussing something with the product manager, um, where I generally do a lot of that in the daytime, then later on in the afternoon, where it's a bit quieter, uh, less noise in the office, then you can just focus on, on a bit of code. So I generally could work later in the evening on natural discoding. Yeah, it's good to get a solid block, uh, isn't it? Because I think sometimes when you get to a point where you're trying to squeeze in half an hour between meetings, it's quite difficult to code. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And um, I mean, we, we already touched a bit about um, your, well, your two careers really so far. Um, but what, what about uh, writing the, the sort of origin story? Um, what, what job did you want when you were a child? What, what was your sort of dream role? So when I was really young, I wanted to be a footballer. Um, then when I went to um, college, I actually studied um, media studies because that was like the, the in thing to do at the time. And I actually wanted mm-hmm. to be uh, make films. Um, that's my original plan. Oh, nice. Make films and make music. Um, so my, my first degree course I did was around um, yeah media technology. Um, and I did a sort of one single in the studio and I've done like a short film as well so yeah that was my, my early days was around film music and television nice what what kind of music was it it was this very cheesy pop track I did um where we sampled uh, Denise Williams um song as a break and yeah myself and my uh, colleague in my course we just uh, wrote some lyrics for it and yeah, we've never put it out, but it was quite fun to do it all in the studio. I was going to say, I was going to try and track it, uh, tra- track it down on Spotify after this. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting back then. Yeah. Was that, so when you say studio, were you going into, like, was that like a proper like um, music studios uh, then? Or? Yeah, so we had um, proper studios at Thames Valley University. And even at college, we had like a, a proper TV suite studio as well. And you used to do all the editing back then on reel to reel. So it was just uh, splicing mm. tapes together. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you have to uh, find the point in the tape, you get a little knife, you splice it, you get your tapes, stick it together. And if that was how you used to do the, the editing. That's really cool. Because I, I, I don't know if we ever talked about this, but I used to, when I was sort of 17 to 20, used to make a bit of house music. And that was all just on the, uh, that was all just on the laptop, really. And I, uh, I always wondered about the splicing stuff um, back in the tape deck days because uh it, it made it, it made it seem like much more final <laughs> like if you're if you're physically cutting the tape uh, but i definitely feel like the, the modern digital audio workstations make that stuff easier but i feel like maybe the magic has gone a little bit like compared to the days when you'd be working with physical tapes and that sort of thing yeah it was, it's enjoyable but you made a mistake it was costly at college um and from, <laughs> yeah, from there we got to use like a, an actual digital um studio which was even more fun if you go crazy experiment and yeah i did a lot of experimenting with music and um, and tv and films back then it was was good times nice sounds uh sounds really cool and then you you started working in um in in publishing How, how did that come about so from my interest in film and tv um i just had an interest in publishing um i just thought wouldn't it be great to do my magazine 
And I just loved magazines mm. growing up. I used to go to Dublin Smiths on the, on the weekend, uh, grab a magazine, just admire the quality of the paper, the, the photography, the, the content. So yeah, I, I used to just like collect magazines. And uh, from, from there, I thought, just do a course in publishing. So I dropped out of my media technology course and um, started a course in publishing at the London College of Printing and Publishing in South London. And um, yeah, and that was that was it. That was it. I just hooked on publishing. I wanted to be a publisher. I learned everything I could about uh, making books and magazines. And then once I graduated. I started a job straight away for Macmillan and Books in King's Cross, and um, yeah, that was it. I was um, just uh, I was making um, books in the production department. Did that kind of was there some experience there that led to you wanting uh, getting into the actual software side of things, uh, or was that more of a uh, more of an accident that you did outside of work? How, how did that transition happen? So, so I worked in publishing for like two or three years, and so I worked for like um, various publishing companies. Uh, worked in editorial, and I worked in production. So, editorial where you deal with the authors, you, you take the manuscripts, and you take any photography coming in and production is mainly just you you take the book from the initial stages until it's like actually on the bookshelf um so i've done that for like several years but i always had a dream of doing my own magazine and so um, one day i just decided to leave the company i was working for and just go it alone and just make my own um, magazine Wow, nice. That's a pretty pretty bold step. And did that what was it was the magazine physical and online or, or was it just physical at that time? So this was um I think back in two thousand and two or two thousand and three. So it was a physical magazine called um, Juicy, J U I C Y. And it was like a art, street culture, music, fashion magazine. So basically it was a magazine about all things I loved back then. Um and yeah, I just uh, left my job. I had some money saved up. Um, I got a, a grant from the Princess Trust as well. And then I thought, okay, I'm just going to do this magazine, get it, get it out on the shelves and just see how it goes. And so it was a very small um, outfit. Uh, I didn't have an office. Um, more or less work from home to use that as my, 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 my office. I had my Apple Quadra still, which was good. So I, and I bought a new um, machine, a G4 Apple as well. And I had this um, massive Epson printer. And this was like a, a proper like um, proofer. It was an Epson Pro 5000. And it was like two grand or three grand back then for this uh, massive, like took up half of my room was this, this printer. <laughs> so I, I used that to like, work on my, my color proofs. Um, I had Adobe InDesign to like put to, together all the uh, all the, the pages of the magazine. Um, so I've done the photography. I um, interviewed people for this. Um, put the magazine together, and then I, I thought, okay, I need I need a website for this. Um, I didn't have any experience of doing websites. Um, I I had software on on, on my computer, um, and I just thought, okay, I, I need to get this done. I don't have a budget to pay someone to do a website for the magazine. I'm going to just 
try and do it myself. So I just like learning and teach myself how to put a, a website together. And from doing the website for the magazine is, is how I, I started my journey into um, web development. Nice. It's really cool. It's it's interesting uh, speaking to people about this because a lot of the time uh, people learn web development as some kind of necessity to uh, to to go for something else. So it's one of those skills that uh, I always say to people on uh, when they ask me about getting into uh, tech is that you don't necessarily need to be a software engineer. It's just generally such a useful skill set um, to have, even if it's not something you're using for your uh, day job. So what 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 did you build the uh, the the web services in? So back then, I uh, had um, there was a Adobe, I think it's Adobe Go Live. I'm not sure if, you, if uh, you'll probably remember that. And you had Mac Media Dreamweaver. Oh, I've heard of Dreamweaver. Uh, I haven't used it, but I've yeah, I, I, I've 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 heard of it. I I think it's still running, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's still around. Um, so these were like the, the first early sort of packages you had, which. Um, allowed you to create a, a website. Um, most websites back then were done using tables. So tables were like a, were the big thing back in the early 2000s. Mm. Um, tables and image maps and the hotspots on your on your page to link things together. You had very like, basic animation. You had things like Moo tools and um, Script Delicious and just, uh, little JavaScript libraries available to add some sort of um, some interactive to your to your website it's, it's very basic stuff and and you had um like cms called joomla and mambo i'm not sure if any of your, your listeners will call those early php um cms's and that's when i started dealing with or, or dabbling with um using a cms as well before i got into starting using wordpress later on in my career it was like the yeah, joomla was like the, the thing everyone used back then you had a template it was like a table template and it was done using PHP. So you set up a, a LAMP stack and you had like an admin side to it so you can log in and create content. I, I could see why that would be so useful uh, if you're if you're publishing um, publishing content and uh, that, that kind of thing. So uh, that, that's really cool. And how would you say, um, I guess we're, we're talking sort of like early to, to mid-noughties here, how, in, in sort of the past 15 to 20 years, how would you say, the software industry has evolved dur- during that time. Are there any anything you miss from back in those days, or any anything you think has really improved? Like anything you really don't miss? Well, tables probably. Um, so back then, you said a lot of tables and, and frames in your website, um, which I don't miss. Um, it was very, it was very <laughs> difficult creating a table template. Um, you, so you imagine like a you'd first create your your design in Photoshop. And then you probably split all that design up into table cells. So imagine you're taking an image and you're breaking it into little cells to piece it together again in a website. Mm-hmm. It was yeah, I could imagine that being quite challenging to deal with. It was a very challenging way to develop because it meant things can be misaligned quite easily. I don't miss that. Um, CMSs, I don't actually miss the CMS world. It was great when you're starting out because it allowed you to be able to get up and running um, quite quickly. So you had a whole stack, you had a back end and front end. But you, you end up, once you start using a CMS, you can easily end up just going down this tunnel of just being a CMS person or being like a mm. WordPress person or a Joomla person or a Drupal person. So I, I did dabble in a lot of CMSs back then. 
use Drupal, use WordPress, um, Joomla. Um, and yeah, you just end up, just, that's all you know, really. Um, so I think it's good to diversify and learn different aspects of, of, of development, not rely too much on a CMS or a framework. Yeah, that that's a good point. I was going to ask you about that. Do you, uh, what, how, how do you think is the best way to to kind of roll with the punches and learn new things? Because obviously we know, particularly the front end evolves really rapidly. Yeah, the front end, I've seen so many changes in the last 10, 15 years where it used to be quite simple. Um, you'd have an index HTML file, maybe a, a JavaScript file, which used jQuery, and that would have been it. You'd have a, a, a website which was um, quite functional, quite uh, in, interactive with the users still. Um, you can even have, even have an admin page just using jQuery and a, a, a database somewhere. And I think it's kind of got more complicated, I think, with the tooling. Where you've gone from just needing to know like one or two things or three things to needing to know 10 to 20 things. Uh, I've seen tooling grow where you, you, you've had Grunt, then you had Gulp, then you had Broccoli, then you have Webpack, and it's a, you have so many just tools available to try and make our jobs a lot easier, but in the end, they make our jobs kind of more complicated. Because now you're not only just managing building a, a, an application, you're managing all these different tools and dependencies which come from using them as well um so yeah trying to keep up to date with all of this is, is a challenge i think um I, I don't think it's even possible to keep up to date with, with with everything in the front end um there's always something new being developed by someone to replace something which was working a year ago or all of a sudden, that's no longer good. We need to be using this latest and greatest um, new tool. Yeah. And you have to learn this, <laughs> otherwise, you're going to be um, fear of missing out in the front end development when you have your catch ups with your friends and they're talking about this. Have you heard of broccoli? And you think, oh, well, I haven't used that yet. You need to feel like you're not keeping up with it. Uh, I don't think you should have to try and keep up with it necessarily. Um, keep up with your own development and your own, uh, your own learning, of course. But you can do that just by keeping up to date with if you're interested in JavaScript, you can just try and learn what's what's new in JavaScript, what's coming out in the, the new version of uh, uh, ECMAScript um, 2017 or 2018 and so on, and just keep up with those changes and not worry too much about the tooling or framework changes because there's so many out there. And it depends on the job as well. So you might choose a different tool for a job. So I would say don't try and just be stuck on one tool or framework. Just try and learn the, the languages, learn the dynamics of the language, and that should be enough. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think uh, as long as your fundamentals are solid as well, it's it's really easy to um, to sort of learn new things. And if you get in the habit of, of continuously trying to uh, learn new things and go go over uh, go over basics and new and new things. It, it, it's a good way to uh, to go. But I I totally agree about hopping on trends. It's very easy to 
Like I've seen people that are like, oh, uh, you know, I, I know Angular, but I've got to know React now. And then suddenly Vue.js explodes. So they've got to learn Vue.js. And now the hype's all on Svelte and uh, all this stuff. And it w- it's easy to drive yourself mad uh, by by just going and chasing after the new trends um, in front end in such a rapidly evolving area. Um, I did mean to ask, what what is broccoli other than the vegetable? Because I've never heard it's of that. It's just another uh, tool. It's similar to like gulp, just another tool in for, um, yeah, just like how Webpack and Affluent works as well. Um, yeah, it's broccoli.js. Yeah, the, yeah, the, so Grump was like the original one, which I started using mm. back in probably 2005 and six. Um, so they're basically just um, task runners, really. Um, I'm not sure if you probably didn't touch on using Gulp when you worked with us at um, M2M Media. So it's just a, a script file where you can you can create tasks um, to run. So you, when it runs this Gulp file, or go through these lists of, of tasks or, or uh, functions, and it will just run those tasks in that file for you. So it could be one of them could be just uh, open this CSS file and do a string replace on 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 that file, or the one could be to minify your CSS file, or one could be one upify on your JavaScript files, and so on. So, it, so kind of like how web, kind of like how Webpack works now. Yeah. Then. So, so now most of that's done yeah. by Webpack. Webpack does that, all of that for you under the hood. You don't really have to see the internals of Webpack. So even Angular will use Webpack. So use Webpack um, to, to run some of those um, bits for us, but we don't have to see. What Angular's doing with Webpack, we know it's there. We just run our our npm run style or ng serve, and everything just works for us magically. But you can tap into it. I was going to say that, yeah, that's always what you want, isn't it? The uh, as long as you can, uh, if you can just run that quick command and and it and it just works, it's a good feeling. Um, but so do you, do you just? I mean, we're getting getting a little bit in depth technical here. But do you just edit that in like the package JSON then, if you want to make the changes? Or so if, if you want to do an Angular, you can actually just um, yeah, you can add your own sort of Webpack config file uh, in, in, into your um, your application, and you can add any sort of custom sort of Webpack bits you want to have in there. But Webpack has quite a lot of plugins available for it, um, like Post CSS is one of them. Um, which okay, we, I guess, Angular would use. Um, so there's, it has a, a array of options with Webpack, and it runs the development server in Angular as well. That uses mm-hmm. the Webpack uh, development server. Nice, cool. And um, I guess this is kind of a related question because it's to do with keeping up with the new technologies as well, I'm sure. But how, how did you get to the point where you are now, where you're both a senior developer and sort of leading teams? Um, how would you say, what, what strategies did you use to grow your career to the point where you were comfortable enough to take on that kind of role and, and to manage people? What, what big takeaways have you got from that? Yeah, so I started um, back at the University of Arts. Um, I was a uh, web manager there. Um, I started there as a junior uh, developer um, at the university, um, and where I worked alongside uh, Chris Toppen, who currently works for me at Intro Media. Um, so yeah, after a while, I uh, tried to learn as much as I can from from, from him in terms of, of web development, but then management slightly different um, I think I've always found being a developer manager you have to try and juggle two hats really 
because um, as a developer, you just want to, to code. You want to just uh, put your head down, put your headphones on, and code, and not really, really focus on on anything else. But with your management hat, you you actually have to manage other developers, not only them working, but any other sort of um, issues might arise from from them as as employees as well. Um, so yeah, it's um, not everyone wants to do that as a career path. Um, I know developers who just only enjoy development and don't want to really get into the management aspect of it all. But I always enjoyed um, yeah, managing as well, um, working up with people in the team. So I get, I guess it's kind of finding the finding the balance is one of the biggest skills there is then in that case, if you're both staying as a contributor in terms of writing a code, but also managing as well, um, I guess finding that balance must be tricky. It is tricky um, in terms of time management as well. Because um, when I first started at M2A Media, it, as I told you when you used to work with us, it was just, I was the sole um, front-end developer. Mm. Um, so you you end up having quite a few different hats when you're like the sole person at a company. Because not only was I doing the, the UX and the design work, um, dealing with stakeholders, going to meetings, you, you still have to deliver some work at the end of the week or two week sprints as well. So you, make, you have to try and manage your time. So okay, I need to still have to deliver this, but I also need to. Um, understand the requirements. I also need to like try and express those requirements and designs to the stakeholders. I need to get some feedback. I need to um, actually code this as well. I need to um, work with some testers, make sure this is um, tested and um, meets the, the acceptance criteria. And then when you're managing someone else now on your team, you not only have to worry about the bits of work I have to do to make sure it's clear to what they have to do as well and they're happy in their job and they, they know and understand what they need to deliver and then you be more people you manage and you yeah you increases yeah and would you say there's any i mean i'm sure there's not some kind of like secret recipe for it but um have you found any techniques that are helpful for that time management that, that you think uh, people could use so um i used to you know, use the Pomodoro technique. Um, mm. I, t- I tend to try to use it and I just uh, forget to put the time on sometimes. I try <laughs> to uh, yeah, time block um, how much time you're working on a, on a task. I find it's easy as a developer to not get carried away, but you can get caught up in a moment when you're trying to solve a problem in code. And you just don't want to move away from your screen until you solve this problem. Um, it, it, it's like a hunger. You, you, I need to get this. I need to solve this. I need to solve this. And so what you thought would have been like a, an hour, two hour sort of task can end up like, you end up spending like days because you, 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 you don't know when to quit or just time box it and say, okay, what I need to do is spend or say, four hours trying to solve this problem. If I can't solve this problem, you need to just move on um, and pick up something else and provide feedback to why you can't carry on with this for now. And if your product manager or scrum master says, okay, we're going give you some more time, that's fine. But yeah, otherwise you can spend like weeks and weeks in, in this um, like 
box just staring at the screen and not thinking about anything else and you're spending all of your time on, on, on this one thing where you could have been doing other things or needed to do other things at the same time. So try and um, time box things if you can. Try and use your calendar. So what I tend to do as well in my Google Calendar, I'll put like a block of time. So if I'm working on a ticket, I'll put it on my calendar and for hours or two hours looking at this ticket in the morning. In the afternoon, I might put another um, block of my calendar and focus on some UX. So your day is structured and you know what you, you, you want to focus on for the day. And yeah, and try and be just really rigid with, with that as well. So if that two hours up and that's the time you're giving yourself, you move on to what other thing or, or item you, you want to focus on for the day. Yeah, uh, that, that that sounds really good. I remember we used to do that at M2A a lot and it's a good way to um to also create a bit of urgency as well uh sometimes as well uh if you want to solve a problem it, it kind of uh if you're a little bit competitive I, I find myself um I'm, I'm i'm quite competitive and it was quite a good way of almost like a challenge can i finish this in this time uh but yeah it's very easy as well because naturally uh, the kind of people we are uh, as developers um generally developers like to if if they find a string they want to keep pulling on it and and don't want to leave the screen and it's kind of good to have the discipline to assign a uh assign assign a deadline to it i i definitely agree and i i tried the uh pomodoro i think uh, the, the the technique as well through um i have that app on my phone forest where you plant a tree and basically don't touch your phone um or like your web browser for 30 minutes or whatever and and the tree gets planted but i'm the same i just always forget to actually just turn it on so it's one it's one of those ones where i was finding myself setting alarms which is just a bit ridiculous uh so uh, more or less giving up on that so i've got a whole sort of forest of wither trees uh on there it's a good app though if you remember to use it it's a good app because there's something really weirdly satisfying about the end of the week seeing a load of um uh, a load of trees and i i could have it for different stuff so like if it's like for like day job work then uh, i can plant a certain type of tree if i'm editing the podcast or marketing the podcasting me a certain type of tree or if i'm learning uh like i'm doing a course at the moment on um, the more advanced react concepts if i'm spending time doing that uh then uh i can um you know i can plant that tree link for the course in the description by the way because they actually very kindly uh offered to uh, sponsor the podcast so um that's quite quite exciting times uh so um uh, you can actually get 10 percent off with code friends 10 i totally forgot about that until just now uh, <laughs> <laughs> um that is a really good course i've been in uh been enjoying doing it's an, as part of the zero to zero to mastery academy um but yeah it, it's one of those uh one of those ones where uh i i definitely find as well the time box is, is a good uh, good way of going about it and we we've talked obviously about how we both got into tech uh, and the the landscape shifts pretty rapidly in 2021 um the example i like to use when i ask people this is maybe like a relative uh come comes to ask you about this like maybe someone that's just left school and trying to decide what to do if someone said to you and said, hey, Howard, you know, I, I want to be a software engineer, um, but I'm not sure the best way of going about it in current year, how would you how would you um, advise them? What do you think they should do? Well, I'd advise them to try and talk to someone who works in, in that industry. Um, so I've, I've done some mentoring with um, a company called Black Valley um, last year. So, so Black Valley tried to 
help more people from uh, BME minority groups and stuff get more involved in, in tech. Um, and not everyone knows what they want to do when you're at school. Um, as I said, I, I wasn't sure what I really wanted to do. And I had many different careers to uh, since leaving school. Um, but yeah, talk, talk to someone. And if it's something for you and you're interested in doing, maybe your first step is try and get a, a mentor, try and decide whether you actually need to uh, go down the, the academic path or can you actually go down the professional path can you um, do apprenticeship in it um, there's, there's various ways of, of getting into to tech um, I've worked with people who don't have degrees um, at M2A media there's people who have degrees and there's actually developers who really good developers don't have them um, they, they straight after school done a, an apprenticeship and yeah they, they're up there working as a senior um, a developer so you don't necessarily need to, to, to do that path if you don't want to, if it's not um, part of your journey. Um, you can just start working straight away. You might have experience of coding from a young age because a lot of um, uh, youngsters nowadays probably start coding from um, junior school. Yeah, definitely. There's more exposure to it now from what I can see, which is, uh, which is, which is always good. And uh, I totally agree with what you say. Like, there's definitely no one defined path to do it. And there's a lot of routes nowadays. I think um, a lot of apprenticeships, actually, you can work towards getting a, like, bachelor's degree uh, at the same time. So you get kind of the best of both worlds. Uh, you mentioned finding a mentor as well. How would, how would you suggest that someone goes about finding a mentor? Would you say, like, just asking friends and family or, or maybe LinkedIn or something? Yeah, uh, ask LinkedIn, friends or family as well. Uh, I've been asked by, like, uh, family friends who are going to, uh, given some advice in into getting into tech and so I, I just whenever they need advice I jump on the call with them uh, offer my experiences um, point them in some direction of some you know, useful tutorials um, and also in your workplace as well so there's a um, where I currently work I've been doing some mentoring with someone who wanted to get into front-end development um, and we can spend some time with, with them each week and go through um, some um, um, tutorials, um, going through some code of them, giving some some challenges. So, yeah, just uh, they can find the, in, in different places um, a, a mentor. Um, yeah, and definitely don't be afraid to ask if you're um, listening to this podcast now and you're a bit worried about just putting yourself out there and asking. Like, it's it's an industry where people tend to be quite friendly, in my experience, and people are often glad to help and. Uh, as a senior, uh, if if you're an experienced developer listening as well, then if you haven't mentored someone already, definitely try and do it because uh, it's very much a two way thing. You end up learning a lot from the mentee a lot of the time, um, particularly about the newer stuff because they're the ones learning the newer, the very newer stuff. And it's a really good way to um, further develop your understanding of the fundamentals. So um, yeah, absolutely. If you're if you're looking for a mentor, don't be afraid to um, message someone. Uh, in fact, a previous guest. Uh, on this podcast, uh, who was on a couple of weeks ago, Ethan, uh, when he, when I was still a recruiter, so really back in uh, a few years ago now, um, Ethan actually emailed me asking for advice. Uh, and I actually, it was such a professional email, I thought he was like a university graduate, and it turned out he was 16. Um, and we stayed in touch. And, you know, he's been really proactive about messaging people and asking for opportunities. And he's like 19, 20 now and working as a DevOps engineer at MasterCard. And it just and he, he kept saying on the podcast that it's very much like 
just don't be afraid to don't be afraid to ask and uh, network because it's the most powerful thing you can do as a uh, aspiring techie is definitely uh, networking. And I mean, I, my, my kind of next question on, on that, Howard, would be um, look, looking back on your career, is there anything maybe that you would, uh, you would, cha- you would change looking back or a different approach you would take to, um, to like learning or, or, or climbing the ladder? Um, or would you say that uh, you feel that your, your approach was, was best? Well, uh, if I can um, speak to my, um, my, my younger self, I, I guess uh, I, I don't think we really had the courses or the, um, the, the online sort of um, uh, learning websites like Udacity, Coursera, um, Code Academy, which you have now back when I started. Um, back when I started, you, you probably had to grab yourself a book, um, a quite a, a weighty book, and you'd probably have to spend <laughs> a lot of time going through the book, um, following tutorials, um, and that was the only way you could really pick things up. Um, it was uh, it wasn't as as easy as it is I think nowadays. I think nowadays there's a lot more opportunity for people to actually pick up a new skill whether it's um, front-end, back-end, or using um, JavaScript or using Python. There's so many wonderful courses out there. Um, there's a lot more opportunity for people to learn and get certified online than there was um, back 20 years ago. Um, so, yeah, if I was... Um, Young now, I'll be probably doing a, a, an online um, course um, or a, one of those online deg- uh, degrees. Just so, uh, yeah, because I think when you tend to like learn yourself, you do miss out on some of those like areas which uh, the, the formal areas of learning, like software development, you miss out on some of those. Um, where if you do like a course, they're going to take you through a lot of the foundations and the basic stuff. I think free code camp is great as well. For you who haven't used it before, there's some great tutorials on there. And so I still go back to this day and do tutorials online. I'm always trying to like um, learn and um, pick up something new. I've done a, a front end uh, sort of degree on Udacity as well, which is really good. And then I started doing a UX course um, done by Google on Coursera so yeah keep keep on learning um you, you never it's never too late you're never too old um so yeah I'm, I'm one of those people nice uh UX is definitely one of those things for a software engineer people don't consider as much and I've actually funnily enough had had um sort of someone I know uh from my um sort of like um personal life um asked me about UX careers recently and I actually wasn't 100% sure uh what what to what to say in terms of like the best the best courses so would you say that one from Udacity is one of the best if you want to get a taste of UX um I think there's a Google one on Coursera which is really good um it's like a professional mm-hmm. certificate in, in design um i can send you the link so you can post that uh, for any of your listeners who are interested in finding about ux um it's, it's a really good in-depth course ux is quite a big uh, subject area as well um it covers um, just research it covers um design aspects of it as well um so it's it's, it's really good nice 
yeah definitely definitely not one to be uh uh to to be forgotten about good ux like i've been redesigning the um i launched i soft launched the code to create website uh the other day and i loaded it up and i don't know if you've ever had this sinking feeling when you load up the website and you just realize you hate it uh <laughs> <laughs> um i really hate the landing page and um i i so i i've, I've been trying to draft uh, using figma i've been trying to sort of draft a new landing page but i forget how much goes into ux it, it, it's tough um so that's definitely a, a thing as well if you're if you're trying to decide what kind of tech to go into and you're not sure that working um working with code all day is for you ux is a great career as well um, and there's a lot of good opportunities and on that side of things as well. If you, if you like tech, uh, be not sure you want to code all day. That's a, it's a good way to go for sure. Yeah. I've always enjoyed, um, environment. I, I was like, that's kind of, I always enjoyed, the uh, just work with users and understanding, um, users needs and making sure when I do build something it is focused on, on, on the, the user. And so I think I'd say to any sort of front end developer out there is, is, learn a bit about ux so it will help you and what you're building uh it's my it's my personal highest priority um to learn at the moment is is uh good 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 ux because yeah i've definitely identified it as a weak point because uh when you've because i in my career i've always worked with uh someone who um who's done a lot of design like when i was at m2a uh obviously you did a lot of the designs uh some great designs um but then i would uh i, I would code up into a component and at my current role at purple bricks i work with great ui ux designers as well who do the same thing so it's one of those ones um you forget how much work goes into it until you have to do it yourself so it's a it's a tricky one but definitely worth um learning and understanding particularly if you want to be an entrepreneur or something like that in the future um, but yeah, uh, I, I appreciate I've taken up probably uh, most of your lunchtime here, Howard. So I really appreciate you coming on um, to, to speak with me. Do you have anything that you're working on that you want to shout out at the moment or, or anything like that? Yeah, um, I'd like to say um, we are hiring at m 2 Media. So any front end developers out there, um, get in touch. I'll, I'll, we'll post my details uh, with the podcast and send me an, an email. And yeah, we're looking for some funding developers. Cool, good stuff. And I can uh, I can certify as well that Howard is a great boss and M2A is a great company to work for. Um, are you are you doing remote employees at the moment or, or is it only for people in London? We are doing remote. I need to confirm that on there. We are doing remote in the UK, definitely. Um, but we have quite a few different roles as well. So there are some back-end roles, any back-end listeners out there as well. Cool. I'll make sure the links to that is uh, in the description as well. Um, but yeah, um, I don't know if we actually mentioned what M2A does. It's a very, it's a very cool industry. It's, uh, it's broad, broadcast technology. So if you fancy working uh, for some really like blue chip clients and uh, working on delivering um, the world's favorite um, content, then it's a great, it's a great company and a great opportunity. Yep. So yeah, we do video streaming. Um, so if there's any like video streaming engineers or people interested in video streaming. Um, yes let me know um, get, get in contact cool good stuff well thanks again for coming on Howard I really appreciate it and thank you as well to all the listeners out there um, you can find all the links to everything we discussed and as well our, um, our sponsor Zero to Mastery a link to their courses uh, in the description but thanks again for listening and have a great week thanks for having me Cam take care